You're listening to the audio version of the Frontline documentary America's Great Divide, From Obama to Trump. Here is episode four. From NBC News World Headquarters in New York, this is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. There is growing outrage tonight after an unarmed African-American teenager was shot and killed by police in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson, Missouri. St. Louis County police have taken over the investigation of a shooting by a Ferguson police officer that left the teenager dead. Witnesses say the teen was not armed and had his hands up in the air when a police officer fatally shot him. Once again, race would emerge and sow division. New Yorker writer Trelawney Cobb. Ferguson becomes a tinderbox, explodes. People want an immediate reaction from Barack Obama and his administration. He ain't armed, he don't got no gun, they just killed his blood everywhere. Ferguson became a metaphor with this entire complex of relationships between black people and police uh, and the criminal justice system. And it becomes a kind of Rorschach test. Michael Brown is unarmed. Uh, he is fired upon by the police officer who says that he attacked him. There are varying eyewitness accounts that dispute that. What is not in dispute is that his body lays on the street um, where he was shot in the sweltering heat for multiple hours. Now! What do we want? Justice! When we want? Now! What do we want? Justice! When we want? Now! What do we want? Justice! Night after night, the streets of Ferguson were a war zone. The president remained silent. Author Michael Eric Dyson. When Ferguson blew, it exploded his inability to grapple straightforwardly with the issue of race. He was contorted and tragically twisted when it came to, um, to Ferguson. The difficulty of this situation for Barack Obama is that it exposes him again and again and again to the most inflammatory thing about his presidency with you know, the beer summit and Skip Gates with Trayvon Martin, now with Ferguson, that he is brought again and again back to this third rail issue of uh, the disparities of race in this country. Finally, after five days, Good afternoon, everybody. he went before the press. There is never an excuse for violence against police or for those who would use this tragedy as a cover for vandalism or looting. He chose a cautious route. We hold ourselves to a high standard. So uh, now's the time for healing. Now's the time for peace and calm on the streets of Ferguson. PBS NewsHour reporter Yamiche Alcindor. He's trying to thread this needle, and it feels as though both sides end up being disappointed by what he does. Thanks very much, everybody. New Yorker editor David Remnick. I was once interviewing Obama in the White House, and. Um, I asked him a question about race. And his answer was unusually uh, guarded, inconsequential, and for journalistic purposes, almost useless. Later, as Remnick was leaving the interview, Obama stopped him in the hallway. He says to me, you gotta remember, I." I am the president of the United States. I'm not the president of 
black America. Everybody knows who I am because they look, they can see me. I'm black. But anything I say on race, anything I say on race, I have to be extremely careful and calibrated in what I say. And as the anger in Ferguson grew out of control, on television, Obama remained careful and calibrated. Uh, to those in Ferguson, uh, there are ways of channeling your concerns constructively, and there are ways of channeling your concerns destructively. The split screen was the line that showed his disconnect with America. Washington Post reporter Wesley Lowry. On one side of the screen, you're seeing the nation's black president begging that a city did not go up in flames. And the other side of the screen, you're seeing young black people saying, we're done waiting. We're not putting up with this anymore. We elect a black president, and eight years later, we have this. I remember talking to activists who said, I voted for Barack Obama twice, and Trayvon Martin's still dead, Michael Brown's still dead. It was this sense that simply having representation, even at the highest levels, didn't necessarily mean that these issues were going to be addressed. Former Obama advisor Ben Rhodes. He was really frustrated, and, and I, you know, we would talk, and he would just say, you know, uh, well, cops need to stop shooting unarmed black kids. You're like, that's what he thought. But he also recognized and was very disciplined about the fact that he was president of the United States. The anger transcended Ferguson. Online, Black Lives Matter emerged. Activists connecting, sharing, and uploading videos of police killings around the country. And within moments, the entire world could see it. And it forced white Americans to see things that their eyes never would have seen. Across the divide, the blowback. They hate no. police officers. Well, they have strong feelings about them. No, they them. hate them. They I want them dead. Know. They're a hate group, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to put them out of business. Their agenda is it's okay to go ahead and kill cops. No, nobody co said that. Oh, they really? That. Pigs in a blanket, frying like bacon? That's when they what act what like that, they're criminals, and they're say, calling for the murder of hardworking police officers. I don't believe that. We now have to counter this slime this filth coming out of these cop haters. A Black Lives Matter protest shut down traffic in Frederick, Maryland. A Black Lives Matter is just a complete fraud. Are you going to riot, loot, roast more pigs? What? Absolutely unbelievable. All lives matter. See, to me, dividing lives that matter by color sounds downright racist. No. Republicans tore it up at the polls. Historic midterm election victory taking control of the Senate. Fall 2014, Republicans had captured the Senate and now held both houses of Congress. The wave of voter frustration has all but washed off the Democrats. Republicans beat the Democrats in states that were both blue and red, including many states that President Obama won. Former Obama advisor Shayla Murray. All is lost. It was our darkest moment. 
We found ourselves alone in the world. The Congress uh, had gone in a different direction, and um, we weren't sure if we'd ever uh, get them back on anything. The mood of the country was nasty, and the country took most of it out on Barack Obama. PBS NewsHour anchor Judy Woodruff. President Obama was heading into a, a place where he was going to be opposed uh, by Congress, by the Republican majorities in Congress, over virtually everything he tried to do. And I think the handwriting was on the wall that his presidency was going to come to an end with a um, really bitter split between the two political parties, like nothing we had ever seen. Over six years, the promise of hope, change, bipartisanship had been confronted by fear, anger, division. Former Obama advisor Ben Rhodes. Barack Obama said he would try to bridge these divides. He couldn't. It wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, just the fact that it was six years before he really just said, I'm going to stop trying. He would go around the Republican Congress go his own way. Dan Balls, Washington Post. The president is, is saying, I'm going to do what I am able to do with the tools available to me. I'm never going to get from a Republican Congress uh, much progress on the things I think are very important. Former Obama advisor David Axelrod. He wasn't satisfied to sit there and have people play hail to the chief when he walked in the room. And he was determined that he was going to use every bit of power that he could legitimately claim. My fellow Americans, there are actions I have the legal authority to take as president. Tonight, I'm announcing those actions. President Obama signed a landmark climate change deal on his final trip to China today. At breaking right now, executive action on gun control. President it changed Obama. the lives of millions of undocumented immigrants, but the move bypasses Congress. President Obama says the Keystone XL pipeline project. Obama's actions energized his supporters, but provoked outrage on the other side. Former Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly. He couldn't get anything through Congress, true, but the Congress people represent the American public. What did Obama do? I take out my pen and my phone. That's what he kept saying. I take out my pen and my phone, I'm gonna do an end around Congress, meaning you people. I'm gonna do an end around you, the American public. I've got a pen to take executive actions where Congress won't, and I've got a telephone to rally folks around the country uh, on this mission. Former Breitbart chairman Steve Bannon. He gets shellacked. He, he loses the Senate. He shows back up, he gets smoked, he calls a press conference and all CNN and everybody, New York Times, is he gonna listen to what the people are saying? Is the country going a different direction? Obama gonna listen? He gets up there and he goes, okay guys, here's how it is. I'm president of the United States and you're not. <laughs> he goes, here's 10 executive orders I'm gonna sign immediately. I'm sitting there going, this guy's my role model. I said, he just got smoked and he comes out and hits you right in the mouth. This is a leader. The Constitution is going to cease to exist as we know it. Obama is going to start shooting a BB gun. Where does this end? Does it ever end? At what point do we roll back this homegrown tyranny? Executive order. What they are really are our imperial fiats. This is what we have to fear. And now he has to use executive action. And this is a very, very dangerous thing. I mean, I think certainly he could be impeached. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning.
Everybody's saying I should run for president. Let me ask you a question. Meatloaf, should I run for president? Absolutely. Now, you would definitely vote for me. I would vote for you. Okay, In fact, I'll, so. I'll help you with your campaign. What do you think, sir? It was Donald Trump's moment. Of course. Who would not vote for me? The reality TV star was making his move. All right, good. A hot hand, don't raise your hand. I would say anybody that raised their hand would immediately be fired because they're stupid. Trump is a showman. Former Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly. This is TV gold, right? Who would not watch this? He's interesting and he's dynamic and he knows how to work the cameras and he's been the number one show on NBC for all these years for a reason. Another political story making news this morning, Donald Trump's growing poll numbers on a list of possible presidents. Donald Trump's serious about a run for the White House? Will his Trump, who may run for president in the Republican primaries. Trump biographer Michael D'Antonio. Donald actually told me in 2013 that he was going to run for president, and I thought he was kidding. And then he argued that it was based on his Twitter feed and Facebook posts, that so many people were posting on social media that he should run, that he thought maybe he should. As promised, Donald Trump speaking now in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Let's listen. You ready? You get ready. Whenever you're ready, I'm OK. Former advisor Anthony Scaramucci. He says to me, my effective television career, me as a television star, is over. I'm running for president. I laughed. Looked right in his face. I laughed. And then he proceeded to tell me that he had a, a base of operations built in the Trump Tower, that he had hired Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg and Corey Lewandowski. Former advisor Roger Stone. You had a perfect storm. In almost 40 years in American politics, I've never seen the voters in this bad a mood. They were um, sour, very suspicious of political institutions, whether it's Congress, whether it's the two parties. Trump had used the birther movement and now seized another hot-button issue for the conservative base, immigration. A top aide, Sam Nunberg, helped him package it. Author Joshua Green. Nunberg had realized that this issue of immigration has real salience with Republican voters. The problem they had was they couldn't get Trump to stay on topic. Famously short attention span, and so Sam Nunberg came up with this idea, essentially a mnemonic device to keep Trump focused on the issue of immigration. Next year, we're Sam Nunberg. So I said, well, why don't we say you're going to build a wall, because it's bigger. You're going to build a wall, and, we'll make, and you'll get Mexico to pay for it. Trump took it on the road, testing out different versions of the line. We have to build a fence, and it's got to be a beauty. Who can build better than Trump? I build. That's what I do. He said it in Iowa that day, and the crowd went nuts. You can watch it. The crowd went nuts. If I run, I will tell you, the king of building buildings, the king of building walls, nobody can build them like Trump. That I can promise you. I can promise you that. He said to me, you know what? I'm talking about immigration. I feel it. Sam, this is a movement. This is a movement. They, they get it. They get it. Obama had promised unity. But as Trump announced his intention to run, it was clear his candidacy would be about exploiting division. Former Obama advisor Ben Rhodes. If you look at Sarah Palin talking to real Americans, the Tea Party talking about taking the country back, 
the birther movement itself that launched Trump. By the time he came down that escalator, he was the obvious Republican frontrunner. He was the guy saying the same thing that they'd all been saying on Fox and on talk radio and on Breitbart for the last six and a half years. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. Former Breitbart chairman Steve Bannon. When he starts doing the over-the-top stuff, and I go, I said, you watch, they're gonna bite hard, if, and they're gonna bite hard and blow this up. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Oh my God, I said, this is, I said, he just, he's just buried everything. They're gonna go, not, CNN is literally gonna broadcast 24 hours a day. Donald Trump's comment about Mexican immigrants has created controversy nationwide. comments have triggered outrage. Trump not backing down from his controversial, some say racist language. Author Ann Coulter. Was waiting for Trump to take it back and say, oh no, no, I didn't mean that Mexico is sending rapists, they're sending Rhodes Scholars, they're so much better than we are. And damned if he never took it back. So I had to say, okay, I'm for you. I'm for this guy. Bill Maher. And which Republican candidate <clears throat> has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. <laughs> Steve Bennett. I said, this is our guy. He's a very imperfect instrument, but he's an armor-piercing shell. I tell the guys, he's gonna go through this thing like a Sith through grass. Tell you what I like about him. He doesn't take any crap from Obama. He's the leader right now of the entire conservative movement in America. Maybe Donald Trump has changed the entire debate on immigration. He might be blunt, he might be inartful at times, but he's channeling the viewpoints of, I would say, the majority of Republican voters. My copy, several victims regarding that active shooter. Give me at least four medic units plus two supervisors. All units responding 110 Calhoun Street. We have breaking news. Police and emergency responders are on the scene at what police confirm is a shooting inside a church in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Dispatchers Nine tell people are dead and there's a massive manhunt underway. It happened at the historic Emanuel AME Church, the pastor of South Carolina. Former Obama advisor David Axelrod. Charleston represented a lot of things coming together. It was race, it was guns, um, and it was the great divide. Eight African-American parishioners and their minister murdered in a church by a white supremacist. They found the shooter's journal. The event that truly awakened me was the Trayvon Martin case. How could the news be blowing up the Trayvon Martin case while hundreds of these black-on-white murders got ignored? New Yorker writer Jelani Cobb. He is driven to violence by the fact that he says this. He says that black people are taking over the world. Reverend Pinckney was dead in large measure because Barack Obama was the president. Author Michael Eric Dyson. 
that massacre in South Carolina let Obama finally know, but black Americans are the proxies for me. And I think that he was aware of the fact that he had to address this. He could no longer avoid this, that this was something that we as a nation must grapple with. He would head for Charleston and the collective grief at the memorial service. Author Peter Baker. He told Valerie Jarrett on the way down, he was thinking about singing Amazing Grace. He mentioned it to, to me and to the First Lady, and he said, there's a moment in my eulogy where I think I might sing. And I'd said, don't sing, don't sing. And he goes, I think I'm gonna sing. Ben Rhodes. He built the speech around this concept of grace. And he said, you know, maybe I'll sing Amazing Grace. Wesley Lowry. Here was a moment where the nation needed its president. And for one of the first times in the nation's history, the president was completely prepared to provide the comfort needed to black Americans. That the President of the United States of America, the Honorable Barack Obama, will come at this time with the Obama would speak about race in a way he never had as president. It was an act that drew on a long history of bombs and arson and shots fired at churches. Not random, but as a means of control, a way to terrorize and oppress. An act that he imagined would incite fear and recrimination, violence and suspicion. An act that he presumed would deepen divisions that trace back to our nation's original sin. Judy Woodruff. The shooting in Charleston was a moment for him to, to, to show the, the fullness of his feelings, of his emotions, and his identification with, with his community. And to speak for them um, in a way that uh, he probably hadn't done in his presidency. As a nation, out of this terrible tragedy, God has visited grace upon us. For he has allowed us to see where we've been blind. If we can tap that grace, everything can change. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. He paused. And I remember thinking, is he thinking, am I going to sing or am I not going to sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. 
it was like in those notes of Amazing Grace, the entire history of the Obama presidency, all the adversity he'd faced, all the opposition he'd faced, everything he'd repressed was coming out. Clementa Pickney found that grace. Cynthia Hurd found that grace. Susie Jackson found that grace. Ethel Lance found that grace. The Payne Middleton doctor found that grace. Tywanza Sanders found that grace. Daniel L. Simmons Sr. found that grace. Sharonda Coleman Singleton found that grace. Myra Thompson found that grace. I remember just sitting there and sobbing at my desk in a way that I never did because it was like he's finally being his complete self in full view of the country. May grace now lead them home. May God continue to shed his grace on the United States of America. Having a black president has no effect, no effect on what's going on in some of our cities. Zero. You know they're ramping it up in the 2016 election. Every speech they've given has fanned the flames of racial enmity. He's not the man of compassion and empathy that he claims to be. is well underway with a new Republican candidate. You know the race for president is underway when Donald Trump Trump's begins campaign blitz in Iowa promising a big special well, announcement. Well, he says there'll be a big announcement at the last event. The Early days on the campaign trail. Trump had plenty of money and celebrity. He wanted one more thing. Governor Sarah Palin, special, special person. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's so great to be in Iowa. We're here just thawing out, lending our support for the next president of our great United States of America, Donald J. Trump. Dan Balls, Washington Post. For her to endorse Donald Trump was a way for her to say, Heads are spinning. Media heads are spinning. This is going to be. He's, he is doing the kinds of things I'd wanted to do. He is saying the kinds of things I wanted to say. But I think most important was, his constituency and my constituency are, are one and the same. Being here tonight, supporting the right man who will allow you to make America great again. God bless you. God bless the United States of America and our next president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Donald Trump is running against the establishment. The Republican Party better pay attention. If you wanted the exact opposite of Barack Obama, it's Donald Trump. GOP pollster Frank Luntz. Obama was cool. Trump is hot. Obama was cerebral and laid back. Trump is rough and in your face. Obama's Mr. Teleprompter. Donald Trump is a no card and no limits, no boundaries, no editing. So Obama is a tremendous divider. You can't get much worse. He's been a great great divider. I think President Obama has been the most ignorant president in our history. He will go down as one of the worst presidents in the history of our country. It is a mess. 
ISIS is honoring President Obama. He is the founder of ISIS. He's the founder of ISIS. Author Peter Baker. He just couldn't believe that the Republican Party would nominate Trump. The idea that the American public would elect twice Barack Obama, first African-American president in history, and then turn around and pick Donald Trump, who played to racial resentment and anxiety, it just didn't compute for President Obama. It just didn't make any sense to him. He couldn't uh, imagine it. Ben Rhodes. He looks at me and he says, you know, what if we were wrong? He's like, you know, well, what, what if people just want to fall back into their tribe? What if people's identity, their kind of sense of racial or ethnic identity is just more powerful? We just have to be honest. It has been difficult to find agreement over the last seven years. In his final State of the Union address, he said it out loud. It's one of the few regrets of my presidency that the rancor and suspicion between the parties has gotten worse instead of better. Judy Woodruff. Along the way, President Obama tried to do things that didn't sit well with a chunk of the American electorate. We saw the, the rise of the Tea Party. You had the birther movement. It all became angry. It became this sort of angry stew that dissolved into disagreement and, and, uh, and worse, division. Democracy grinds to a halt without a willingness to compromise. Or when even basic facts are contested. Or when we listen only to those who agree with us. Former Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle. He meant and he really truly believed that he could bring about meaningful change in discourse and attitude and the politics of politicization. He became enormously frustrated, enormously discouraged, enormously pessimistic about his prospects for doing just that over the course of his eight years. So while he started filled with hope and filled with this enormous desire and determination uh, to do just that, he acknowledged defeat. He acknowledged his collapse, his inability to bring his country together. And that was deeply disappointing. He left with a warning. There will be voices urging us to fall back into our respective tribes, to scapegoat fellow citizens who don't look like us or pray like us or vote like we do or share the same background. We can't afford to go down that path. It contradicts everything that makes us the envy of the world. <laughs> 